Hi, everybody. This is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. There once was a small American town, and although it sat in the forgotten corner of a giant city, it was much like any other small community around America. Everyone knew everyone else's name and everyone's business. Instead of a stream or a brook, we had the fire hydrant. We didn't have farmer's markets, but we did have a well-stocked bodega. And rather than sitting on the front porch to watch the little world fall by, we sat on our stoops. It seems like an ancient time, like it was some lost city. It was like I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. Autumn leaves are changing colors, changing colors, changing colors. Autumn leaves are changing colors all over town. Autumn leaves are changing colors, changing colors, changing colors. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I make no secret I love the summer. Most of my favorite memories are tied in with the hot sun of freedom, enjoying long days outside, playing a myriad of games both classic and made up, the fireworks and barbecues, the feasts, trips to the beach and amusement parks, and, and probably most importantly, no school. There was always this pit in my stomach as autumn approached. School was going to start again. Freedom would be replaced by being shackled to regimented desks from 8.30 to 2.30 under the cold fluorescent lighting. Luckily, back in the 70s, the back-to-school ad started, well, you know, when back-to-school was imminent, and not the day after 4th of July. Value and selection at Woolworth are a back-to-school tradition. Save now on a 48-function student calculator, just $13.99. Save 25% on Timex watches for the whole family. Buy a heavy-duty canvas binder for only $3.99 and filler paper at 58 cents a pack. Shop now for back-to-school savings store-wide. It's a Woolworth tradition. I can recall the horrible feeling seeing those multicolor pens and marble notebooks on the TV screen instead of commercials for great adventure or beer on beaches. But I digress to the negative. I want to applaud and honor the gods of autumn. It happens overnight. August wanes into the waxing September, and September fades with the last few bonus days of Indian summer. The darkness comes early. The greens of the trees provide their own fireworks of silent explosions of color. Summer has had her last curtain call, sometimes even into October. In fact, as I write this, I'm sitting under the hot sun of summer's final performance off her 2019 album. She will pack up her heat, her humidity, and our uncanny ability to poke nostalgia from the depths of our memories and vanish into time. I will miss her as always. And fall has risen. Like a street magician setting up its table on a city street. With a swipe of his hand, the greens and yellows will transform into palettes of gold, coppers, reds, and auburns. The chill will coat the sun's rays and toss the crunchy underfooting into whirlwinds of rushing herds of crispy foliage like mini buffalo. There are more gray skies, and the new tones of clothing pop under that even light. The birds head off to warmer places, but the city ones, they hunker down, like we do. More jackets and cords, sweaters and hats. The smells change as well. It's actually many of the summer smells remain, like street meat, for example, but it falls into the shadows, 
while the roasting chestnuts take center stage. Odd how that happens. Selective smelling. My dad told me when he was a kid, with so few cars on the streets, they would create huge leaf piles in the middle of Pleasant Avenue and set them ablaze, and then use the fire to cook sweet potatoes on sticks. I would love to see a photo of that. In East Harlem, as a kid, my yard became carpeted with a variety of leaves, creating a candy-colored landscape that crunched and crackled with every step. My dogs Gypsy and Sheba both loved running crazily through them, sticking their heads under the piles that I would create with a rake. And there was a smell, no, no, a fragrance, a perfume in the air all over Pleasant Avenue, the smell of dried leaves burning in Jefferson Park, or in my own yard. It's one of my top ten nasal pleasures. With the setting sun ushering cool nights, the streets and stoops were desolate. There was something great about that. Every sound had extra bounce to its step, and every step popped and echoed across cobble and brownstone surfaces. Me and Joe or Scott would be alone, daring the fallen temps. It was as if the entire neighborhood was in hiding, or would dissolve under the cool air. We loved it, and it inspired deviousness. Go back to episode 7 for a sample of the ways the autumn demons could possess us. There were a bunch of birthdays in October, all in my circle. Jennifer, Christopher, Joe, Scott, and my dad all celebrated the month of All Hallows. And, yes, of course, Halloween was the best way to end the month. It was right up there with the last day of December as a day and night most fun to celebrate. I loved dressing up for Halloween as a kid, and heck, I still do. I can remember a few of my classic costumes. I remember in sixth grade, the peak of my comic book fervor, I decided on a costume that would combine a great Marvel hero with a scary monster. A little of my mom's green eyeshadow, an old wig spray-painted green, and a torn shirt and pants, and this skinny 11-year-old was transformed into... a skinny green-faced kid with a wacky wig and torn clothing. But it was still kind of cool. I mean, heck, I was transformed into the Incredible Hulk. My classmates thought it was a hoot. In fact, I remember Marlene asking me, how are you going to get all that stuff out of your hair? I smiled and pulled the wig off. Amazing to think my own hair beneath was as thick and long as a wig. Oh well. Anyway, after school, it was time for trick-or-treating. Circus peanuts. Well, he's supposed to be anyway. Tin man. Uh, And Gort. He's the robot from the day the earth stood still? He looked like the frickin' tin man. Uh, ma'am... I hope there aren't any peanuts in these peanuts, because if there are, I could that die. Some kids stopped trick-or-treating when they learned to talk. I mean, they just were, they, they, they got old quick. Well, for me, I would still go trick-or-treating today. And as for costumes, yeah, every Halloween. Back then, I had a small group on my street, you know, the usual gang. Scott, Chris, Jennifer, my younger sisters, Laura and Chrissy. Our candy zone was kept to my block on my side of the street. We would start down by First Avenue. The first house had a lot of kids, including this boy Peter, who would wear a sock on his hand when he got mad. Yeah, I'm not sure. There were the nice buildings and the grumpy buildings, 
and we visited them all, you know, just in case the grumps had a change of heart. I mean, hey, we had plastic pumpkins to fill. Free candy came once a year, and we were going to max out our haul. And where there were treats, well, you had to have tricks. Halloween in East Harlem also meant the older kids, and the kids, you know, too cool to be uh, door-to-door candy beggars, would fill socks with flour and beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> the sight of bulging tube socks slamming the backs of kids as clouds of white dust ascended into the cool autumn air was as common a sight as heroin addicts doing deep knee bends in the 70s. And there were eggs. Nature's little hand grenades. Palm-sized, easy to conceal, aerodynamic. These projectiles with a gooey shrapnel center flew like swallows of Capistrano on Halloween. In fact, it was hard to walk from first to Pleasant Avenue without having to dive, duck, or do a chicken dance to avoid being slapped with yolk or shell fragments, or worse, a direct hit. By the end of the day, the street was so covered with flour and eggs, you could add yeast and turn the sidewalks into a giant loaf of bread. A year later, the following autumn on that last day of October, I had another classic costume. It was 1977, and if you know me, 1977 was the greatest year in the history of the human race. Star Wars came out. So as natural, my costume would reek of geek. I honed in on the ultimate fascist, Darth Vader. I think deep down I really wanted to do the choke move on a few of my classmates. Enough of this. Vader, release him. As you wish. <sighs> there were costumes available at Shelley's store on 116th Street, but those, you know, those are those cheap plastic masks and thin vinyl jumpsuits for five-year-olds. This was years before the full-size realistic stormtrooper outfits and real lightsabers were on the market. The fruits of George Lucas's brilliant merchandise deal were in the future. You wanted to be Vader? You needed a father with patience and artistic ability. So one night, my dad measured my face and head, and then I watched in awe as he worked wire into a detailed structure of the Sith Lord's face mask, then the helmet. But a wire frame would not do. So next came the paper mache, and I was able to help out here, dipping strips of the New York Daily News into flour and water and laying them across the wire frames. It was like real-life CGI work, going from wireframe mode to more layers of detail. When the wet newspaper was crackly dry, my dad applied a few layers of black cloth spray paint. When I tried it on, well, I could hear my own breathing. Deep, guttural, evil. Luke, I am your father. Well, actually, I didn't know yet. You know, Empire Strikes Back wasn't out yet. But I was Darth. All I needed to do was add a black turtleneck, black pants, black boots, and a red dago plastic rod that I used as a lightsaber. But wait, there was one obvious hole in the costume, aside from the three-foot shoe lifts, the panel of switches on his chest. At the time, conveniently, my dad worked in the electronics industry, so in our cell were boxes of various outlets, transistors, switches. We made a panel with a black square of cardboard, and the coolest costume I ever had was complete. At school, yeah, I was a rock star. People loved it. <laughs> and as kids at 6th grade will do, Vader's buttons took on new meanings. We didn't assign the buttons to any high-tech Vader biological support functions. Nope. Press the green button and Vader will burp. The white? <laughs> Some word we couldn't say in front of the teacher. The big red button? Well, that would trigger the almighty word of words, the big kahuna of swearing. Yeah, kids are real brain surgeons. Then after school, I strolled up and down 118th Street, the epic orchestrations of John Williams punctuating every step of my badass self. 
Then I ran into my classmate Chrissy, who, who, by the way, is a fan of this podcast, who took a good look at the switches on my chest and asked, So what do these buttons do? Well, I was laughing on the inside, but there was no way I was going to go down the road me, Howard, and Gary had. So I explained that some of the buttons were for breathing systems, other for communications. I was geeking out. She was looking at me like, well, what do you think? She decided to test me. What about the big red one, she asked. Uh-oh. I laughed inside. <laughs> Luckily, Vader's mask had hid the fact I probably blushed. Oh, oh, that one is secret, I said. Don't push that one. Okay, she said with a little interest as she walked off, letting me breathe again, the red in my face fading on the black paper mache. Looking back, I guess the big red one, when pressed, really illuminated the giant neon sign on my forehead that flashed loser geek. But hindsight could be a cynic. At the time, I was in geek heaven. Maybe some classmates looked down on such pleasures, but I'm glad I was not one of them. Geek joys keep us young, keep us optimistic. They remind us to see the world through the lens of imagination. From those days of being a geek, it was born the books I write. Like my fantasy adventure series, The Adventures of Rupert Starbright, about a boy with the greatest imagination. Heck, even this podcast came from the days of geekdom. So that Halloween ended with a full pumpkin of candy. October was over, but autumn was just getting started. The kaleidoscope of leaves had fallen, eggs flown, and it was soon time for turkeys, even colder days, and the first round of toy commercials kicked off by the only parade I really like, the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I could smell the leaves burning now, just like then, that epitomal scent of fall cologne that erased the essence of summer, and I could taste the freebie treats as I sat getting sick on nowelators and candy corn on my stoop of Atlantis. This has been The Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future episodes as we journey back to that ancient mythical land that actually existed, East Harlem. And please join the Stoops of Atlantis Facebook page, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe on YouTube or iTunes. See you next time.